Kia ora and welcome to the Catalyst Movement podcast. We are a missional movement based in Auckland, New Zealand, who exists to save the lost and send the saved until all are heard. God bless and we hope you enjoy this episode. So anyway, uh, hello, good good afternoon everybody and um, uh, uh, I want to talk to you today. Um, I see the topic is preparing for revival and so uh, so what I want to do is actually talk about something God's really been putting on my heart with regard to the process of preparation. Um, this book here, this is a really old book. Well, old in terms of, it's 1956, written by Arthur Wallace. It's called In the Day of Thy Power. And um, uh, for a number of years, I was looking for a copy of this book. And then the first time I met Steve Dunn, some of you will know Steve Dunn. He's a, he's a radical, fiery, revival nutter. Um, and um, the first time I met him, he didn't know that I was looking for this book, but he came and he, he sort of, he gave it to me and couldn't understand why I burst into tears. And it was because I'd been looking for a copy of this book. So this book was written in 1956. It's a study both of the biblical nature of revival and the work of preparation that goes on in the lead up to revival. And um, I've, been, I've been reading this book again. I just picked it up again last week and I've been reading it again uh, in, in the last week and a half, uh, partly just recreationally because of where I think that we're at, but also with, uh, with you in mind. Um, so, I have believed, along with many others, and, and you too, that New Zealand has another great awakening. There is another great awakening ahead of us. Uh, I've believed for a long time, like many people, that, uh, that this great awakening would look different from, you know, from anything that we have necessarily experienced before, and uh, that potentially it will happen in a time um, of turmoil and even increasing distress in the world. And so, you know, we look now and, uh, and we see uh, that we are living in days that are looking to be uh, increasingly dark. And um, actually we had some friends over at our house the other day. And uh, because we, we can do that here in Tauranga, my love and uh, affection for Auckland is great, but I am also a little bit glad that I'm not there right now. Um, I grew up in Auckland, so I'm very fond of Auckland. But my friends were at my house the other day, and they were quite fired up about a number of things. Um, they were pretty fired up about, uh, about vaccines. They were pretty fired up about masks. They were pretty fired up about Donald Trump. They were fired up about a bunch of things. Uh, and anyway, they said to me, they said, uh, you know what, the church needs to rise up and protest. We need to be on the streets protesting. And, and I, I, you know, I, so I said, well, why? And they said, you know, because our freedoms are being taken and because limitations are being applied to the church and this shouldn't be happening. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's a good thing. But I said, well, okay, with that happening, why do you want to protest? And, and basically, they were saying, we need to protest for a return to how things were a couple of years ago. And I just sort of politely said, I said, how, how, how were we doing a couple of years ago? How was the gospel advancing in our land a couple of years ago? Were, were multitudes of people becoming followers of Jesus a couple of years ago? And, uh, and, and, you know, quickly the penny began to drop that even though we're good friends, we were not on the same page with regard to the need to protest. I'm not saying Christians should never say anything about these things, but I just said to them, I, I don't really have any interest in protesting for a return to a normal that had the church lukewarm, lazy and unfruitful. And if it takes a bit of shaking and a few lockdowns to wake us up, uh, bring it on. Listen to this kind, mellow quote from, from the book. This is a quote from Duncan Campbell. And if you're a student of revival, you'll know the name Duncan Campbell. Uh, he was basically the, um, the spark plug for the uh, Lewis Island 
revival, 1949 through 1953, uh, just off the coast of Scotland. That's actually, of all the revivals I've read of, that's my favorite one. And I won't go into why that is, but I just love that one. And so three years out of the furnace of that revival, he said this, how many today are really prepared to face the stark fact that we have been outmaneuvered by the strategy of hell because we tried to meet the enemy on human levels by human strategy? In this, we may have succeeded in making people church conscious, mission conscious, or even crusade conscious without making them God conscious. Revival must ever be related to righteousness and that the way to a revived church is still the way of repentance and true holiness. And see, that, that's not just theory. This was a man that had been in the four-year furnace of a revival that had turned a community upside down. And so here we are, we're living in days that, you know, if someone had described to you three or four years ago, uh, the time that we're living in, you know, you would have scratched your head a little bit. Who had ever heard of a lockdown? Who had ever heard of a, I'd never even heard the word coronavirus. So the other day um, I, was, I was listening to uh, an American conservative talk show host that I liked. And he had a guy on, uh, a, a musician, Christian musician called John Rich. And John Rich had written this simple song just called Earth to God. And it's written like from a hurting earth to God. And the words, part of the words go like this. We need your light. We need your love to heal the world you made and save us now in our darkest hour with your amazing grace. Earth to God. We're holding on, but not for long. Can you pull us all close to the Holy Ghost and keep us strong? You know, these days that we live in are days that are causing a lot of pain for believers and for unbelievers. They're causing a lot of confusion. Uh, but as believers, particularly as revivalists, these days should not surprise us, nor should they frighten us. Because I believe if you, if, you, if you look at the passages in the Bible relating to the, the, the days and years leading up to the end of the age, or even if you look at um, some of the prophecies that you might say relate to revival, they talk about things like light shining in the darkness, or Matthew 24, 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. That's talking about a, a great falling away of many religious believers. But then on the flip side, the gospel of the kingdom is being preached throughout the earth as a testimony to all nations. So, so there is this contrast that we should anticipate. And so when we look and we see crazy things happening in the world, believers shouldn't be going, ah, and freaking out. We should be going, ah, okay, let's, this is the time to wake up and, and to saddle up because this is what we were born for. So, you, are we doing okay so far? God bless you. Um, in the book of Nehemiah, you see Nehemiah hearing a report about the condition of the city of Jerusalem. This is very familiar to us. And it says in Nehemiah 1 verse 4, so he hears this report that Jerusalem is, is in a mess. And it says, uh, so when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for many days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So Nehemiah didn't make the mistake that I think sometimes we as, you know, perhaps contemporary, Pentecostal, hopeful believers make, where we, we, we can sometimes make the mistake of being in denial about where things are at. Nehemiah took a, a look. And, and basically, the poor guy, he, he was gutted. He was devastated. He wept. He mourned. He fasted. And then, I, I won't go into it now for the sake of time, but if you then read on in Nehemiah 1 from verse 5 to verse 11, 
You see him pouring out his heart in prayer to God. You see him not just pointing out the sin that maybe led to this downfall of Jerusalem, but taking it as his own and saying, uh, I repent for the sin that we have committed. So there was no them and us. There was no passing the buck and going, well, hey, if you guys hadn't been such mongrels, this wouldn't have happened. He, he identified with it and, um, and he repented. And then he prayed for grace to do something about it because he was going to go to the king. He was the king's cupbearer. And so what we want to do is we don't want to just look and go, oh, well, you know, the reason that the nation is like this is because we have had wicked leaders or, or because the church has been so religious and passed the buck elsewhere, but actually to look at it and to own it and to feel it and to say, God, we come and we take, we put skin in the game. You know, like I, I became I became aware uh, two weeks ago uh, that in New Zealand there has been a, a vast increase of suicide and parasuicide. I've never even heard the term parasuicide, but attempted suicide among children in our land. And and I I have a little grandson on the way. You know, he's going to be born in uh, in December. Um. And you're right, those stats are continuing to rise. They are rising in other lands too. Um, in America, they've experienced a tenfold increase of suicide and parasuicide among children between five and 10. And, and we can look at that and we can go, oh, how sad, boo-hoo. But actually, we need to have skin in the game. This is not someone else's kids. This is our kids. This is the children in our land this is the children growing up on our watch. And so, um, uh, like, like you, I mean, I, I know, I know, uh, you know, some of you may not be in, um, in New Zealand, but uh, I, I feel very deeply about our land. You know, like I, I've traveled around New Zealand um, uh, for the last 33 years of my life. I, I, I feel very deeply about this land. I feel very deeply convicted that there is revival for our land, but I also feel very attached. You know, Kiwi kids are not just someone else's kids. They're, they're our kids. And so Nehemiah does this with Jerusalem, and it leads him to what? The place of weeping, mourning, fasting, praying, and then after that, taking action. So what I have on my heart today is really just two simple Bible verses, one from the Old Testament, and one from the new, and both of them will be familiar to you. The first one is Hosea 10 verse 12, and the second is Acts 3.19. And basically, in my opinion, both of these verses are almost identical. So Hosea 10 verse 12, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. And here's the part I want to focus on. Break up your fallow ground for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and rains righteousness on you. So there's just three simple things I want to focus on here. The first one is break up your fallow ground. And um, fallow ground, the definition of fallow ground uh, is hard ground. So if you think about, you know, you think about a vegetable garden where someone's been out there with, you know, with, instruments and turn the soil over so that it's all loose and and soft for planting fallow ground is more like uh if you're walking on a, a trail and the ground has all been beaten down and it's become very hard fallow ground is hard it's often covered with weeds which perhaps you know in a spiritual sense might be a representation of sin and it's therefore ground that is unfruitful so when when this passage says, break up your fallow ground, it's not talking about what you do with the dirt out the back of your house. This is heart preparation. This paints the picture of a heart that needs to be broken up, the heart that has become hardened or sin entangled and therefore has become unfruitful. This is the heart 
in, say, in the life of a believer that needs a fresh and powerful touch from God. And, and I don't know about you. Um, it's not a story for today, but I have been through uh, the most difficult, awful, and transformational time in my whole life in the last three years. Uh, that's, a, that's another story for another day. I hated every minute of it, but I'm so glad it happened, which is a bizarre thing to say. Here's what I reckon. I don't know if this applies to you, but often <clears throat> we don't even recognize there's fallow ground in our lives. We're just going about our everyday lives, not realizing that we've drifted away from our first love, that first love for Jesus that undoes you in the secret place and moves you to tears, that first love that when you listen to a worship song, you just feel like your, your heart's going to explode and your head's going to fly off. Uh, how easily we don't realize that our hearts have become lukewarm, that our, our prayers have become tepid and, and formulaic, and we're just kind of going through the, mount, the motions. And, you know, it's interesting here that the instruction is not ask God to break up your fallow ground. The task is ours. It says, hey, break up your fallow ground. It says that to you. It says that to me. So in response to Holy Spirit conviction, not human introspection, human introspection, I don't know, that always leads, leads me to ugly places. But in response to Holy Spirit conviction, we go low and we dive into prayer and we begin to get out the, the, the utensils of the word and repentance. We begin to break up the fallow ground. We repent of our lukewarmness and we say, God, God, help me break up the fallow ground where even, even if it's been fruitful in the center, help me to go right out around the edges and get, get to the parts that have become hard. In this book, Arthur Wallace says, the channel that God uses in revival is the channel of a broken heart. And so this is heart preparation. The second part of the passage is, for it is time to seek the Lord. Now, we seek the Lord not for what he will do. We seek the Lord for who he is. We seek his presence, his closeness, his voice, because he is the pearl of great price. And he is the treasure hidden in the field. He himself is our very great reward. I, I was thinking about this. I, I went out fishing on Saturday. And I was sitting out on the water. And I, I was looking at the horizon out behind me. And I was thinking about how God made everything from nothing. And then I was thinking about how he redeemed us. And then I was thinking about how he is the most valuable person, the most valuable aspect that we could ever have in our lives. And it reminds me, in the Old Testament, the priests were the Levites. In the New Testament, we are all priests. But when the land of Canaan was divided up among the tribes, this tribe got that block of land, and this tribe got that block of land, but when it came to the Levites, the priests, they didn't get land. They inherited God. And so we seek God for who he is. But this passage has an extra word on there. It says, for it is time to seek the Lord until. <clears throat> this is a different kind of seeking. This is prevailing prayer. This is when we come and we say, what is our response to the world around us? We are going to seek the Lord until he responds to our cry. We're going to be a bit like the persistent widow in Luke 18, who kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back and kept coming back until the judge gave her what she wanted. Now, this is going to seem strange to you, but I I have a bit of a habit. Uh, people, uh, people tend to give me gifts of, um, uh, of weapons. I have, I have a couple of swords, and they tend to give me gifts like this. That's an odd gift, isn't it? 
it's a rock. In fact, uh, I, I've got, I've actually, I've actually got lots of them. Um, I've got five of these. These were taken, collected by a friend of mine who went to Moravian Falls in North Carolina. Moravian Falls, some of you will know, is a, a piece of land where the Moravians, uh, they bought land in North Carolina and they physically, legally deeded it to Jesus Christ, that Jesus was the owner. He still is to this day. And the Moravians were a group of people who set out to pray. They prayed nonstop for 100 years, and that sparked a missions movement that went all, all around the world. That's where we get this familiar term now that we've heard so often, may the lamb that was slain re receive the reward of his suffering. The Moravians uh, lived on this piece of land in North Carolina, and they had a river where they would swim, where they would drink. And five of these rocks were collected for me out of that river. And I have them sitting on my bookshelf there because it reminds me about prevailing prayer. It reminds me that the engine room, that the furnace of the Christian life, and therefore the furnace of revival, is prevailing prayer. I got a bit carried away in one of our prayer meetings a few weeks ago, and I came and grabbed these stones and started roaming around laying stones on people. You know, rather than laying hands, I was laying these on them. And people were just getting blasted because, you know, these sat in that river where that prayer uh, meeting was happening for decades. These just sat in the river. So anyway, see, I know you all want one now, but, you know, here you go. See, that's the closest you'll get. It's time to seek the Lord until what happens next. He comes and rains righteousness on you. So we've got heart preparation. This is preparing for revival. We've got prevailing prayer. And now he comes and rains righteousness on you. This is spiritual revival. This is God in response to our seeking, reigning righteousness. This reign is more than something that can be conjured up by human ideas, efforts, or strategies. We've tried those. We didn't get there. I'm not saying there's no room for creativity. I'm not saying we should all just sit back on our blessed assurance and do nothing. But I'm saying that this is more than the result of our efforts because the, the results when he reigns on us are disproportionate to the skills and abilities of the people involved. In my drawer here, I've got a whole bunch of old photos. And these are photos that were taken in, in some of those revival events that we hosted back in the 90s and into the early 2000s. Pictures of hundreds of young people turning up, mainly from Anglican, Methodist, Presbyterian, Baptist, Catholic churches, and getting absolutely blasted and walloped by the presence of God. I got in so much trouble because these young people were coming from these, these churches where it was not common, and they were winding up speaking in tongues, flat on their back on the floor, drunk in the Holy Ghost, demons were coming out. And, you know, I can tell you the results of that event, of those events, were far disproportionate to the skill of, of me and the, those that were running it. People would look and go, this has to be God, because you guys aren't that organized. And so that was just a very small foretaste of what's ahead of us the rain till he comes and rains righteousness on us. Listen to this. This is again from my book that I, I'm, I'm waving all sorts of props around, aren't I? <clears throat> it wasn't really my intention. Listen to this quote. The course of the 1904 Welsh revival has been outlined like this. God began to work and then the devil began to work in opposition. And then God began to work all the harder. And listen to this. And then man began to work and the revival came to an end. 
It is most needful in times of revival that a careful watch should be kept so that nothing should gain a foothold which is not of the Holy Spirit. But great care must be taken not to interfere what is evidently the work of God. When God is working, let man keep his hands off. Many a revival has ended through human interference. Now, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, in, in the 90s, of course, we had a, uh, a move of God, uh, an awakening, a revival that swept through our land. And at that time, um, that's when we were running all these youth things. But at that time, uh, my friend and mentor, Peter Robertson, who was in that photo at the beginning, uh, he was traveling all over New Zealand, sometimes preaching up to 19 times a week traveling all around at revival meetings. And he told me a story of a particular small town in New Zealand. I, I won't say where it was, but a particular small town where a well of revival erupted. And lots of people were getting saved and healed and delivered. And, uh, you know, many children were being touched by the, the river of God. And what happened was two uh, well-known leaders in, in our land, two no, well-known back then revival-oriented leaders, kind of went to war over who owned this well. One of them, uh, he lived reasonably close. He used to bring busloads of people from his church out to populate this revival uh, to kind of put his stamp on it. And another one who lived a bit further away, he used to uh, fly people to this location so that lots of his people would be there. And what they were doing is they were, who owns this? And Peter told me one day, sitting in a cafe in Howick, he told me that the moment they started doing that, the revival began to wane. And soon it stopped, and not long after, the 90s revival came to an end. So let's keep our hands off, and let's see God put his hands on. So, so that's the first verse. Um, break up your fellow ground, heart preparation. Seek the Lord until prevailing prayer. He comes and rains righteousness on us, that spiritual revival. Okay, now let's go to Acts 3.19. Acts 3.19, very similar. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So the first part, we'll just do this one in two parts. Repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. Now, I know you know this. The word repent means change your mind, change the way that you think. I don't know if, if you recognize it, but we tend to have a tendency uh, towards self-sufficiency, independence, perhaps even a bit of arrogance. And this word repent means you've got to change the way that you think. But then it says repent and be converted. The term converted means as a result of this changing, turn around, change course. Let the change in your mind be demonstrated in the way that you are living. So it's not just change the way you think. It's repent and be converted. The word converted also means to return. So I reckon if you put those two together, it sounds like this. Change the way that you think. Let go of the arrogance of going your own way, of doing it your own way, and leave behind the pig pen and come home. Repent and be converted, that your sins might be blotted out. Oh, my gosh. Think about what is ours in Christ because of the cross. When I was a kid, I grew up in an atheist family, and I used to have this repetitive dream of being given this enormous cup to drink that was too big, but I had to drink it. I had no idea what that was, but of course, Jesus drank the cup of the wrath of God that was against us. 
So this term blotted out means wiped away. It means erased. It means pardoned. And listen to this. This is my favorite one. You listening? It means obliterated. This is the ultimate clean state and clean slate and fresh start where we can be free from sin and free from shame. In Christ, our sin is not just forgiven, it's obliterated. It's blown into a bazillion pieces. So I think that this, this is the process of how we become born again followers of Christ. But I think it also speaks right now for us of the process that the church is in, particularly in Western first world affluent countries, where I think God is saying this to the church too. Change your mind. He's moving us away from the, from the massive Sunday show with the superstar preachers and, 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 and superstar worship leaders. He's bringing us out of that. It's not to say that that will never be a part of it again, but he's bringing us to the place where in simplicity and humility, we'll meet from house to house and we'll meet in the temple courts. He's bringing us to the place of decentralizing things away from a few people doing all the work of ministry to all believers using their spiritual gifts and sharing the gospel and praying to the sick and having words of knowledge for people in cafes and in bus stops. So he's saying to us as the church, repent, change the way that you think, and then change course that the sins, even the sins of the past, how many people feel hurt, feel let down, feel disappointed, feel abused and beaten around by the church, that our sins would be blotted out. I'm getting carried away, Ben. I'm starting to preach and flail and shout and jump up and down. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Oh, so listen to this, so that times of refreshing may come. So repentance and conversion is required so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So without this repentance and conversion, these times of refreshing are withheld. Now, I believe this. I believe that this passage here has a dual meaning. Yes, times of refreshing for the church. Hallelujah, for believers, for the church being refreshed. But I believe that the shockwave has to go far beyond just the company of believers. This word refreshing, just think about the word refreshing. When we think refreshing, we tend to think of a, a cold drink on a hot day. Or Maybe it's a hot drink on a cold day. Maybe it's diving into the waves out at Piha Beach on a, on a blazingly hot day where you've run across the black sand and you forgot your jandals and you burned your feet on the way. We think of refreshing like that. But the word refreshing here that is translated, it means two things. It means revival, that times of revival might come from the pr presence of the Lord. And it also means this, and I love this. This is the best. This is, this is my favorite part of what I have to say to you today. Uh, it means the recovery of breath. So if you think about this, at the creation, God created the trees and the fish and the animals. And then when he created Adam and subsequently Eve, it says this. It says in Genesis 2, 7, that God breathed into Adam's nostrils. He didn't do that with the animals. The breath of God came into Adam, and it says he became a living being. So what distinguished humanity, I'm getting a bit undone here. <laughs> oh. What distinguished humanity from the rest of creation was that we had the breath of God, the, the ruah, literally spirit. The word ruah, spirit, breath of God. So the breath of God distinguished us from the creation. 
But then, of course, in Genesis 3, at the fall, we lost the fullness of our created nature. And it's just my suspicion. It's subjective. But I think that one of the things that we lost at the fall was either the entirety or part of the breath of God. And I'll tell you why. Because in John 10, 22, it says Jesus did what? He breathed upon his disciples. He blew upon them. He breathed upon them. He, just like the Father had done at the creation, he breathed upon them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is the down payment on our inheritance, guaranteeing what is to come. What is to come? The full restoration of everything that was lost. That on the day when Jesus splits the sky, you get a resurrection body. You get back everything that was lost. It's yours by down payment, but you get the fullness of it when the Son of God returns. And so Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And perhaps at that moment, something that was lost in the fall was restored. So the recovery of breath, though, I believe is this. It's not just simply for believers to be baptized in the Spirit over and over and over and over and over and over and over, as good as that is. I believe we should be baptized in the Holy Spirit over and over and over and over continuously. I remember once being in the swimming pool with my son Isaac when he was a bit smaller, and we're talking about baptism, and he said, describe baptism to me. So I showed him, and I, you know, I dropped him down in the water and lifted him up. He was like, oh, yeah. And I said, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an ongoing thing. And so what I did is I picked him up. It, it, it looks abusive, but he was laughing and having fun. And I went, sploosh, sploosh, sploosh like this. And he was coming up and laughing and breathing and going under the water and up and down. And I said, that's a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We are baptized, not just once way back in the day, but day by day by day by day as the presence and the word of God washes over us. We get so filled that we're overflowing that everywhere we go, goodness and mercy. Look, I'm flailing again. Can't help. Nothing, I don't know. Is there, you know, I know there's speaking in tongues. Is there also speaking and flailing? I, I don't know. Maybe that's a new thing that will be a part of. Anyway, sorry. The recovery of breath is not just about believers being baptized in the spirit over and over and over again. It's also for a deceived, robbed and devastated humanity who are, who are physically alive, but need the breath. You know, the recovery of breath. Um, if you go back and you watch video footage from the Apollo 13 landing, uh, no, Apollo 11, forgive me. Apollo 11 lands on the moon. Apollo 13 is the one that had the, the problem. When they landed and, uh, uh, and, and the voice comes from, um, from the landing capsule saying uh, the eagle has landed, you can hear on the video from NASA, from the control room, you can hear the guy say, we're breathing again. And he goes on to say, we're so glad to hear that you've landed because there were a whole bunch of guys that were turning blue. Why? Because they weren't breathing. And you know that feeling of like, <sighs> I'm breathing again. I don't know how it was for you, but when I became a believer, that's exactly how it felt. It was this feeling of like hope. It was this feeling of relief, of adoption, of being loved, of belonging. And that's not just a gift for us to celebrate that we have as believers. That's a gift that God wants to give to every man, woman, and child living in New Zealand. Put in there whichever country you're in. The recovery of breath is not just for the church. Go, oh, praise God, our church has got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Awesome but it's to go outside of that, that men, women, and children in the city of Auckland and around the city of Tauranga, that these, the, these little kids that are, that are suicidal or, or, or confused, that families that are under great stress, 
that there is the recovery of breath. And that, I believe, is the definition of revival. And so we repent and we are converted and our sins are blotted out and times of refreshing may come. And this is where it becomes so clear that we have a beautiful privilege and responsibility, not just to repent on our own behalf so that we can be blessed, so that we can be forgiven, but like Nehemiah back in Nehemiah 1, that, that we are taking responsibility for the wider picture, for, for you know, like many of you are young, and, and, and the pickle that we find ourselves in in New Zealand happened before you were born. The seeds were sown, the processes, the, the rejection of God out of our culture and society, it began before you. But this process of the recovery of breath is where we say, actually, I'm not just going to blame my parents and my grandparents, and I'm not just going to blame them out there or those over there, but I'm going to sit before the Lord and I'm going to take responsibility because this is my home and this is my nation and these are my people. Here's the last thing I have to say. It's from uh, Jonathan Edwards. And if you know Jonathan Edwards, Jonathan Edwards was the fire-breathing reformer who preached sinners in the hands of an angry God. Look up, look up the account of that. He says this, and it's, it's, it's old-fashioned English. God hath had it much on his heart from all eternity to glorify his dear and only begotten son. And there are some special seasons that he appoints to that end, wherein he comes forth with omnipotent power to fulfill his promise and oath to him. And these times are times of remarkable pouring out of his spirit to advance his kingdom. Such a day is the day of his power. And I, like Ben, and like Winky who went before us, and who like many others around our land, we are convinced that there is a day of God's power coming again to New Zealand, uh, to the United Kingdom, to the United States, it's going to come potentially against the backdrop of increasing turmoil and even of the church being under increasing pressure. But these are the days ordained for us. And so these are the days we were designed for. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray for you and I'm, I'm going to hold my Moravian rock as I pray for you just because I feel like doing it. Can you just right where you are, just turn your heart fully towards the Lord. Father, we thank you today for your presence right now, for that immediacy of your attention as you remind us that when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. Thank you, Lord, that I feel you now here in my little room. And thank you, Lord, I pray that each person on this Zoom call right now would know your presence coming, flooding, your grace, your mercy. But Lord, also, we invite your conviction. Forgive us, Lord, where we have not loved like we've been loved. Forgive us, Lord, where we've passed the buck, where we've pointed the finger, where we've shifted the blame. And Lord, help us to come to get before you individually and even corporately in church fellowships and say, Lord, forgive us. Help us to break up our fellow ground. Help us to prevail in prayer for our nation until you come and rain righteousness on us. Father, we ask for the grace to come upon each of our lives to repent and be converted that our sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We ask for these times of refreshing to come in such a manner that they cannot be contained by any walls of a church building, by any 
barriers and territorial preservations that we have in our hearts. The, the prophesied rivers of revival would sweep through our land here in New Zealand from, from Cape Rianga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. That in every town, every city, every rural community, that countless men, women, and children would be reconciled to God. And that even in days of reduced freedom and pressure coming on the church, that, Lord, you would cause us by your spirit to rise to the occasion and to be so filled with your anointing that everywhere we go, we overflow. Lord, I'm asking right now for a fresh activation of the spiritual gifts of every person hearing this prayer that I pray right now, fresh activation of spiritual gifts. I pray, Lord, for a fresh activation of the gifts of healing and miracles. And I pray, Lord, even for a down payment that, that people would feel that coming on their hands right now. I pray for a fresh activation of the gifts of the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, prophecy, and discernment. And I ask, Lord, for a down payment of that, that people would feel that like a, like a fire burning in their bones, like Jeremiah did. I ask, Lord, for a fresh activation of the authentic gift of exhortation that goes beyond flattery and empty encouragement, that empowering hope-filled exhortation with substance that smashes depression and despair. And Lord, I ask that even through the rest of today and into tomorrow, wave after wave after wave of your presence would crash over each of these ones, filling them with your spirit to be the catalysts that you are calling forth and making us to be in these days. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be alive in these days of all days, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray fresh grace on, on our friends in Auckland right now. Fresh grace after the long haul of restrictions. Fresh grace on them, their households, their families, in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for uh, letting me flail and rant and rave. I pray that you'll just get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier for more of God. And I pray that you will, no matter what is going on, that you'll be steadfast in the word and in the presence of God. And uh, New Zealand will have revival. End of story. God bless you. Okay, Ben, I'm going to mute myself and hand it back to you, my friend. Preston, thank you so much. I mean, I know we, we planned on finishing, you know, 1.30, Kristen, but is there anything else you want to say or do? Or I just want to encourage you that, um, you know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, it says afterwards, uh, they picked up, that he instructed the disciples to pick up the broken pieces. And um, sometimes we have broken pieces in our lives, parts that feel smashed, parts that feel devastated, parts that feel like any hope has been torn away. But Jesus still picks up the broken pieces. And, and um, if I can encourage you with this, you know, like I'm, I'm 53, so I, I can't see all of your faces, but all of the faces that I can see all look a lot younger than 53. But I can tell you that even my testimony from the last three years is that he picks up the broken pieces. And so even if you're discouraged, I've been pretty discouraged about the state of the church, for example. Uh, don't give up. Let him pick up the broken pieces. It's amazing how he can pick up the broken pieces and how he can still use them as a feast for somebody. 
uh, I want to encourage you, like, be furiously consistent in prayer, even if sometimes it feels religious. All prayer counts. You know, you'll have times, like I had a time praying this morning that was like, oh, awesome. But my prayer time the day before was as boring as all get out. And I felt like God was a gazillion miles away and he had nothing to say and he wasn't interested in me at all. But be consistent in prayer, you know, just like you just keep showing up and you keep showing up and, and be consistent in the word. Like one day you're going to be reading the book of Romans and it's going to undo you. And another day you might be in the book of Numbers reading the list of names and it might not be, but, but it, it all counts. You know, you just, I remember Misty Edwards in one of her songs from, from the International House of Prayer, she had this term, if you don't quit, you'll win. And sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes it's as simple as, I remember teaching my, my son to water ski. And I just gave him the advice. I said, just don't let go of the rope. And so sometimes that's what it's like with Jesus. You know, you just don't let go of the rope. You just, just don't let go. Just never let go. Uh, I remember the first time I water skied, they gave me that advice. And I didn't let go of the rope. And I water skied all the way from Motuhee Island into Eastern Beach. And uh, by the end of that, I felt like my back was broken. My arms were nine feet long. My knees were jelly. And, uh, and anyway, I wound up letting go of the rope uh, too late at the end. And that's um, oh, another story. But I ran out of water before I hit the beach. And I went tumbling up Eastern Beach in front of all the beachgoers, making quite a spectacle of myself. So just don't let go. Don't let go. Write this verse down. 1 Kings 20 verse 11 says this, one who puts his armor on should not boast like one who takes it off. 1 Kings 20 verse 11. Don't be an I'm going to Christian. I'm going to this and I'm going to that. The time, the time for any boasting is not, not at the beginning or midway through the race. It's not how you begin. It's how you finish. And, uh, you know, and just keep, um, I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you this one last thing. I won't do it now because, but you'll see some of these rocks have, have scratch marks on them because one day when I was praying for people, I started smacking them together. And the funny thing is they made this really strong smoky smell. And, and that reminds me of, you know, Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So, uh, so stick with your brothers and sisters as best you can. Like, uh, you know, if you ever have a moment where, where you think Ben's, gone over the edge, he's gone too far, he's too full on, he's too on fire. Just, just smell the smoke and, and keep iron sharpening iron because we all need that, all right? Okay, I think that's about all I have to say. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Catalyst Movement Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by it. For more content and information about Catalyst Movement, Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, or visit our website at catalystmovement.com.